Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Leslie Powell with the Yale World Fellows Program. With me here in the studio is Marvin Rees, a 2010 Yale World Fellow from the United Kingdom. Marvin is an activist in the UK on race relations and race equality. You have your fingers in quite a few pies, Marvin, and it's not easy to summarize your professional life, but I'll mention a couple of your most recent activities. You host a BBC radio show on issues relating to the UK's African and Caribbean populations, and you direct the Bristol Partnership, which, as I understand it, is a multi-sectoral initiative to improve health, sustainability, and standards of living in the city of Bristol. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'll start with the obvious question. You've made race relations your signature issue. Can you tell me why? Yeah, this this comes from my personal experience. Um, growing up um, in the UK and at the same time looking around the world as a, as a mixed race child and dealing from a very early, well, from a very early age, I, I say even before I had words, I was aware that I didn't, totally fit with the children that were around me. I spent some of my early years living in, in very, what you might call, white areas. And these these labels are very brutal, but this, <laughs> this is what we have to do to communicate. And before I had language, I knew that I was different to the children around me. Um, I wasn't quite sure how. Give an example, my, my grandmother's brother told me that I once brought a school picture home. Now, I was the only non-white child in my school. And I brought him the picture and I showed it to him and I said guess which one's me mm-hmm. so <laughs> so but I was a, but I was aware and and just growing up and um just seeing the way the world worked that that race was that race was having an impact even though it's not biologically real it was a category that we were in racism was real I saw people um getting the the poor end of the stick we had bad experiences in school I was chased down the road a few times people calling me names trying to beat me up you know but then also um, beyond that open physical verbal attack, seeing the more subtle forms of racism um, as it plays out. But within all that, as I said, my my mixedness, as it, as it might be described, was important also because my grandfather, my white grandfather, comes from white Welsh miners who were very, very poor. And so for me, there was a crucial... There's a crucial theme to to my life, and I think it's a crucial theme to the world, is how do we begin to talk about race and racism in a way that takes them seriously, but respect the fact that many white people have stories of poverty and marginalization also. And in that sense, we have to develop a way of talking about it and approaching it that doesn't push people apart and, and put them in a race to the bottom as to who has the worst story, but offers the potential for coalition, while at the same time, not diluting either of those stories of marginalization and oppression. Uh, During your time here at Yale, you and another world fellow, May Ockel, launched a project called Blood Across Boundaries. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, and it it very much comes out of um, what we've just said. Um, I, I told my story when I was introduced here of my approach to the world and my life and the famous question, what keeps you up at night? And I can't tell my story. I can't tell the story of my career and the different jobs I've had without talking about being mixed race because my job's a means to an end. After my talk, May came up to me and said, that's a Lebanese story. This is a British guy, mixed race, grew up in housing estates in the UK and in the city and a, and a Lebanese woman 
says that's a Lebanese story. And she told her story. And it was remarkable how, how growing up with, with lineages uh, um, that cross boundaries of identity create the same type of questions and challenges for the individual involved. And I would importantly say the same opportunities. Because unfortunately in the past, mixed heritage has sometimes been seen as a problem rather than as an opportunity. And so we, we start to ask the question, um, how does the world work? look to people who come from lineages that cross traditional boundaries? And are you talking about only in conflict zones or just generally speaking? We, we initially think that there's something for this within conflict zones, but, we th- but conflict can be cold. Mm-hmm. Black-white relations, as we see in the U.S. with the current whole thing around Obama you know there's a cold conflict there there's uh, there's unsettled sores so so it, it so it's just about where there's been a friction where we might call a lack of peace um so yeah so so we we want to ask this question uh, uh, as to whether people of mixed heritage be that faith race or ethnicity have a unique but as yet untapped contribution to make to the way we develop policy and approach politics around identity, conflict, peace, and reconciliation. And that's the piece of work we're going to be working on for the coming year. I see. Uh, I imagine that some of these themes are what you typically address on your radio program, which I believe is called The Marvin Reese Show. It is. Is that correct? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Um, told if you get your own show by your own name, (laughs) it's harder to sack you. (laughs) What are some of the recurring themes that you talk about on your program? Is it related to these issues or...? How would you categorize them? They are, actually. I, I mean, when you deal with a... I was quite keen in having a show that dealt with the black community in the UK, that people didn't turn it on and think, oh, this is the black show, and these are black issues. The issues are the same for everyone. It's housing, it's health, it's unemployment, it's the economy, it's the environment. It's just we get different types of people to come on and speak about it rather than what you might see as the usual suspects. Um but often, actually, I will say that a number of times, while, while um, stories were being told about inequality, because this is where a number of issues do end up, the, the, the issue of other communities, other than, you might say, black, again, brutal categories here, but black communities that were marginalized, suffering, not doing well within the way our economies run at the moment, were raised constantly. White working class boys is a classic example. And it was saying to me, some, not everyone is here. I'm not talking about some dreamland where everyone is looking to build coalitions. But it, was, it did seem to me to be the case and, uh, that a number of people were saying, how do we build um, partnerships and coalitions among all groups um, that, that want to work for more, so, more social justice, all groups that are getting the wrong end of the stick within this um, within the way that we run the political economy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so in education, for example, I mean, it's classic. Um, it's a classic truth that education system has not served black children well. They're disproportionately excluded. They disproportionately underachieve. In the UK, it's also true that white working class boys do poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want to get into a race to the bottom here. We don't want to say, well, we got it worse than you. You've got it worse than us. And everyone starts, you know, what you do is you say, we're both having a bad time. How can we support each other in, in, in making things better? And and we try to, as a radio show, we need to be objective and just do and do news. That's an important thing. 
but I think it is also important to to understand that that there are truths out there that we can also try and get into and I and I think that um creating space for people to share their stories um to share their common interests is is an important task that that we try to take on on that show and and I don't I, success is a evasive <laughs> you know it's a strange idea but I, I I think we definitely put a few things out there who are your heroes well, I'm pretty well known for quoting Martin Luther King I fairly often. Anything, right. <laughs> you quote him a lot. I do, um, and it's because I, I, I really believe King was really misremembered, or has been misremembered. Um, I was dismayed back in uh, 2008 when people started talking about a documentary to remember Martin Luther King, and I was at the B- I was at the BBC a few years before, and I said, if you do a documentary, please don't just do I Have a Dream. That was 1963. King was killed in 68. And the speeches over the last few years of his life when he went to Chicago and he started talking about capitalism, militarism, racism, materialism, revolution of values. This is profound stuff. It really is. And and I think it's it's politically unpalatable what he was talking about. And I think that's the person to remember. I don't want to sound like we have a show in the UK I think you have it here now called The Office mm-hmm. and, 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 I, and I fear that if I say Jesus is a hero I sound like Ricky, <laughs> like David <laughs> Brent in The Office but, I, but it, it, I am reminded I was just talking to someone yesterday um, one of a couple of the Muslim um, fellows Arif from Indonesia and we were just talking about the, the character and, and again someone misremembered you know this idea of gentle Jesus meek and mild but actually reading the stories and seeing quite how revolutionary and rude he could be to people who were oppressing the poor and exploiting widows and orphans, as it, as it were, and um, really challenging the order. And um, I suppose my hope is that I would be willing to to be like that, to, sac- to, to give up popularity and respectability and the idea of being sensible in the name of um, deeper values. These are all grand, high-flown ideas. I don't know if I'll be able to do it when the rubber hits the road, or if I've even done it um, to date. But that's the hope. You have, I believe, political aspirations. Yeah, or you have had political aspirations. I'm not sure where that stands, but you you have a relationship of some kind with the Labour Party. I'm a member. You're a member. <laughs> um, where? What are you thinking nowadays in terms of political? I'd like to run in the 2015 election for parliament i'm i'm saying 2015 i'm guessing it would be 2015 um yeah i tried to run a few years ago i tried to get the candidacy for bristol west i i'd been i'd been working with an organization in uh the uk called operation black vote which is a fantastic organization which is working hard to get people from black and other minority ethnic communities into public life elected office magistrates public appointments and they they really gave me a fantastic uh, induction into the way the political process works, as they have a number of people. Um, and yeah, I saw. So I, I tried to get a candidacy for Bristol West, where I grew up. I didn't. I wasn't successful. There's a number of circumstances around that. I was going to be successful, and then we had a bit of a falling out, and I wasn't successful. Um, uh, but I would like to try again in 2015. And um, it just comes back to a childhood. A thing I've carried with me since I was a child. You know, why is looking around and seeing some people ferociously rich, 
others who are ferociously poor, you know, the danger is that people take that and interpret it and start to put labels on it. Oh, he's a socialist or this, I, I, I'm just, I just think there's a problem with having such extremes of wealth and power, poverty and powerlessness in the world. I think it, I think for, for people of faith, they would also say that there are, there are big moral questions in there. You know, it's often in US politics, there are some, there are kind of four or five hot button moral issues and they never touch on inequality. I think inequality is a hot button moral issue that we ignore at our peril. I don't think you can build coherent societies across great gaps of wealth and power, poverty and powerlessness. And, and um, I need to find expression for that, a way to live a life that, that, that begins to address these questions. And I've worked for aid agencies, I've worked in politics, I've worked in a nonprofit, I've worked in areas around mental health, not as a, medic not as a medical practitioner, but looking at the politics of health inequality. And I've worked at the Bristol Partnership. And um, I hope that I would run for office. I hope that I would be successful. And as a member of parliament and potentially minister or shadow minister, be able to, to, to really step into that arena and do things that are um, meaningful. I don't underestimate the challenge of that. Um, I think we've seen the challenge around, you know, it's easy to stand on the outside and make declarations about life intentions and values. And it's much harder to get in there in the mix where you have to begin compromising and, and all that. Um, and I've talked to another world fellow about that, Tembi. He's saying, well, when I go back to South Africa and she gets more politically active, what will happen with her connection with people on the ground? But these are the challenges we face. And I said to Tembi, well, it's best you're going into politics worried about that than not worried about it. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we just have to approach it. Well, we can't vote for you, but we'll root for you. Thank you. I'll be drawing <laughs> on the Yale network. <laughs> <laughs> make make me look connected. <laughs>